This is SMDC. On the 50th anniversary of Tranquility Base, a multinational crew has pulled into port at the International Space Station. And uh, NASA astronaut Drew Morgan now aboard the International Space Station. Drew, it's Stacy. The launch was surreal. We are so proud of you, and this is going to be such an amazing adventure. We love you. I love you guys so much, too. It was an incredible ride. It is surreal to be here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special edition of the High Ground Podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. Today, I am excited to bring you someone who truly puts the special in special edition. He's someone I have the good fortune to talk to and work with fairly frequently and has graciously agreed to let me hit the record button on this call so you can get to know him a little better, too, and talk a message we both think is important to our Army and Army family audience. Transitions. Transitions in our life and our careers. I'm talking to none other than U.S. Army soldier, physician, and astronaut, Colonel Andrew Drew Morgan. And he's not only an astronaut, but he's also the U.S. Army NASA detachment commander at the Johnson Space Center. He's orbited the Earth more than 3,400 times, traveling in excess of 115 million miles as an ISS crew member for NASA Expeditions 60, 61, and 62. Colonel Morgan, thanks for speaking with me this morning and allowing our audience to listen in. Beetle, it is so great to be here with you and be part of this podcast. For the listeners out there, we have known each other now for a number of years, and you have been tremendous support to the Army NASA detachment over the years and during my mission, during Lieutenant Colonel McLean's mission before that. So if I can, publicly, thank you so much. I look forward to our conversation. Well, thank you for that. Being able to cover the soldiers at the NASA debt is one of the highlights of my duties. And I got to say, has changed or improved my understanding of how critical space is to everyone, but especially the Army. So we're going to talk changes and transitions in our lives as soldiers and service members. First off, what's your personality type and how do you best deal with new or previously unexplored changes to your environment? Yeah, well, what I've found is that as I've advanced through my career, like most people, we learn about ourselves all throughout our lives. And in my career as an astronaut, we do a really thorough job of making sure that we have good self-awareness and that we study our personality types and our uh, how we interact with others. From the time that we're selected, we undergo a lot of personality evaluation, both with uh, professionals, but also just some self-reflective types of events. And then we emphasize a lot of that in our early training, something we call expeditionary skills and um, just kind of understanding how you affect group dynamics and how you work in and outside of groups. And, you know, that has just in the last eight to nine years now has really caused me to understand more about who I am and um, how I interact with groups. Does, does the fact that astronauts go through at least the same candidate training process make them at least somewhat homogenous in their behavior or outlook? You know, I would love to say that astronauts have a particular personality type, but that's not true. I would say our personality types are as varied as we are professionally, and it's, they're diverse in every sense of the word. And that much the way that Army officers are, are quite varied, and there are a lot of similarities between the qualities that make a good Army officer and the qualities that um, make a good astronaut. But one of those is, is just being very adaptable and very agile so that you, you can quickly adapt to changing situations. 
So self-reflection and assessment are important to determine one's personality and how quickly or how best one can adapt to change. But I think it's also equally important to be willing to listen to experts, peers, and groups around you and how they assess how you react to changing environments. Kind of like AARs, you know, where we have to do a bit of the thick skin and willing to accept not only the sustains, but the improves. Yes, no, maybe. Absolutely. I think that as Army officers, we have more and more put emphasis on understanding things like the 360 degree evaluation, how both your subordinates, your peers and your superiors view you and understanding and resolving those differences between how people view you. So I think those are really critical things to understand. And the emphasis early on as a young cadet going through training as a young officer, learning and understanding what it means to be a good team member, a good team leader. At NASA, we put almost equal emphasis on being a good follower and being a good leader because we're constantly shifting between those roles. And so the that interplay between the two is critically important. Organizations like NASA and the Army, holistically, are really too large and complex to have a single dynamic, especially in cultural behavior. You know how when you visit or are assigned to a new unit in the Army and you can almost sense a different vibe from the others you're more familiar with? Not negative, mind you, just different. Even for me, being a former missile crew soldier, each of those five soldier crews, although completely identical in structure and duties, each one had a different vibe. At NASA, I'm sure between the different centers, divisions, whatever they call them, it's much the same. So when you are thrust into a particular group, do you feel the need to alter your behavior or language to adapt to the group? Yeah, I think one of the really important things that we learn as Army officers that Army astronauts bring to the table is that experience of having a variety of different experiences and being adaptable to new situations and understanding what it means to go into a new culture and be observant and learning how to be a uh, good diplomat and slowly make suggestions in a way that are not intrusive to the environment. And that's really important here at NASA because it is a different culture from the military in many ways, but there are a lot of similarities as well. I and mean, they're both very mission-focused organizations that have a very dangerous mission inherently. And so Army officers bring a lot of great ideas, but, you know, one of the reasons that we have rotational functional area 40 officers here at, is to facilitate that dialogue between the Army and NASA so they can both learn from each other. And we have officers here for a number of years that go back to the Army and can teach the Army what they've learned at NASA, but they're also great ambassadors here embedded at NASA so that NASA can learn a little bit about how the DOD does things. And that adaptability is a really critical piece of that. One of my classmates, friends, colleagues, fellow astronauts, Commander Victor Glover, a good friend of mine, often talks about being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And much like Army officers, astronauts really crave new situations and being in new environments and, and feeling that sense of being uncomfortable, but being comfortable being uncomfortable and learning how to adapt to new situations. Because as soon as we get too comfortable, then we start to feel like, hey, it's time for a new experience. And it's the same way in the career progression of an army officer where we're constantly looking for new opportunities to broaden ourselves, to stretch ourselves, to grow as individuals. Many of our listeners won't know this, but both you and your family look like you're going to be in for a significant change. 
maybe not as significant as going from being an army physician to an astronaut, but a big change nonetheless. So paint me a picture. After you hit the ground in your Soyuz capsule in what Roscos Moss terms a soft landing, which I'm sorry, but looks anything but soft. It's like getting rear-ended at about 35, 40 miles an hour. Right, right. When you hit the ground in Kazakhstan a year ago, I'm sure the last thing on your mind was what you'd be doing a year or two from then. I'm guessing your immediate thoughts had more to do with getting used to gravity again, which is really weird to say, but I know that's actually a thing, and seeing friends and family. After that, though, doubting you were thinking, okay, so I've done this human spaceflight thing, can't really top that, so I guess I'll retire, buy a Winnebago, bum around military fam camps, write a short nonfiction book so I can autograph at PX and commissaries on Saturdays for the next three to five years. Yeah, that's not, that's not you. When did it sort of hit you that you were going to have to make a significant change back to, and I'm using air quotes, the real army? And what was that like? Well, the life cycle of an astronaut training for a mission is very similar to the deployment cycle of where there's this anticipatory phase where you're preparing for deployment, and then there's the period while you're deployed, and then there's the redeployment, reintegration that occurs after that. And uh, the mission cycle for an astronaut space flight, very similar. Um, you know, I was assigned to my mission almost a year and a half prior to the date that I launched in July 2019. And uh, so that had a long lead into it, lots of travel, lots of time away. Um, and so there was a lot of build up to it. And then my mission itself lasted for nine months. And then we come home to a dedicated reintegration period that lasts six months where we're focused on rehabilitating ourselves physically, doing a lot of medical testing, scientific testing, lots of debriefing, and then ultimately talking about our experience to the public and uh, forms just like this. That really almost sounds a little bit like an R4 gen cycle, does it not? Exa I mean, it's it, it's very, very similar. And, uh, you know, the analogy is not lost on any of the military officers and astronauts that are here that go through it. But believe it or not, while I was on board the ISS, thinking about what, what my career might look like beyond this was definitely on my mind. It was actually one of the things that, you know, mentally I stayed engaged in and I stayed connected not just with NASA mentors, but Army uh, mentors as well. Um, many our commanding generals, our former commanding general, General Dickinson, General Carbler, and several of our previous deputy commanding generals. I, you know, I stayed in contact, stayed engaged, and had a lot of conversations and talked about those things. And one thing that was definitely on General Dickinson's mind several years ago was the importance of being able to keep Army astronauts relevant to be able to bring them back. And we've had selected about 18 astronauts over the years since 1978, our, our Army officers, but we haven't, uh, except in one case, had an officer come back to the Army. And so that's something that we've talked about, certainly with the establishment of the U.S. Space Force, um, and the Air Force has done it uh, well for a number of years of bringing astronauts back for an assignment, bringing them, then bringing them back to NASA, um, or uh, off-ramping and coming back to their service. And all the Army astronauts, we, and I am no exception, we bleed green first. And I love the Army, and so the idea of coming back to the Army for an assignment has definitely been on my mind, something I've talked to openly with my mentors. And I think it's important for the Army and for DOD space in general for military astronauts to cycle back in and out and share what we've learned about human spaceflight and NASA from our perspective, but not just astronauts. The idea of having liaison officers, broadening opportunities for all the services here at NASA to cross-pollinate between the two organizations. 
So Doc Morgan's not putting away his combat boots just yet. But for those who are getting near the end of their time in the military, whether that's retiring or even simply ETSing, what advice would you give to them? You know, I have not transitioned out of the army myself. And I think about that day and I, you know, I quiver because I, again, I consider myself a soldier first. And the idea of leaving the military is daunting to me. But I have watched friends and colleagues, um, members of my own family make this transition. And I, I like to provide guidance from my experiences in making transitions, but still only speculating what it's like to leave the service. But there's a couple things I think that are themes that resonate that I think apply very well from the experiences and transitions that I've made. One is the importance of early planning and thinking way ahead to paraphrase grotesquely the Eisenhower quote that planning is everything. You know, it's the idea of just going through the mental processes of making a plan and thinking about options well in advance, years in advance, probably further in advance than you think might be necessary. I think a year before your transitions, probably too late. You need to be well in advance of that. Then, you know, as part of that plan, contingency options, thinking about having a plan A, plan B, plan C, standard army planning concepts. You think some of those relationships, that networking you talked about earlier, that's going to play a critical role? The relationships that you make over the course of your career, many of those are going to be relationships that transcend the army, that are friendships for life, relationships for life. And those are critical to continue to, to continue those into your after career, not just for those career connections, but also to have that connection with the comrades that you've built relationships with over the years and years. And that's going to be very important to your mental health as you transition from the military as well. So that brings me to my next point, which would be stay, staying connected and being slow and deliberate in your transition. Sometimes completely stepping away from the army and never looking back is not the best way to do it. Maybe that there are other ways that there can be a midway step as you make your transition. One example I give is that by training, I'm a medical doctor and I have found it increasingly difficult to stay connected and stay engaged in the practice of clinical medicine. But the point in my career where that was really important was when I was making the transition from being a medical doctor to being an astronaut in those years where I could still try to work clinically on the side a little bit at a time to help me make that transition to my career and identity now, which is much more astronaut than it was, than it is physician than it was several years ago. And, and so making that transition gradually, a slow transition was was really important. I really like how you articulated the more gradual transition and how earlier you were engaging with mentors and peers to figure out how you might eventually transition back one day. When I started thinking about how I would transition out of the military one day, I think I had about 23 years at the time, I was looking for a smaller change that would set me up for a better, big transition later. As an air defense officer and later missile defense operator, I thought it was important to position myself by doing something useful for the Army, but something that might place me in an MOS or a duty that was more transferable to the civilian sector. For me, it was taking that ADA and missile defense experience, but apply that to an opportunity to become a public affairs officer with SMDC. That decision to spend my last few years as a PAO helped set me up for potentially a career in marketing, advertising, or something of the sort. Not everyone has the desire or the opportunity to do things like this, 
But I'm wondering if you think soldiers, especially those that are in MOSs that don't necessarily have a specific civilian counterpart, might choosing to take a broadening assignment somewhere in their career help fulfill some of that? I think that broadening experiences, broadening assignments are critical to diversifying your experiences, um, but also taking you to that level of, of discomfort where you're in a new environment and you are forced to adapt and it's going to exercise mental muscles that maybe you haven't in a while. And that kind of challenge is the type of thing that, that uh, encourages growth. Hey, sir, we're running a bit long, but I also wanted to pick your brain on how transitions and changes affect the Army family, the Army family unit, as we sometimes call them, be it macro changes like ETS, retirement, or MOS change. There are also some more of those micro temporary changes like deployments. But how can the soldier or service member make those changes easier on their number one source of support, their families? You've deployed both as a soldier and an astronaut. There's overlap there, yes? There are a lot of similarities between my experiences both as a deployed soldier and as an astronaut living on board the International Space Station. And I think that uh, several of these things will really resonate with soldiers who've deployed. And I, I readily admit that both of those experiences, both deployed and in being in space, that the hardest thing for me, the mental challenge for me was being away from my family for that long period of time and missing out on everything that was going on in the, the ground, the, the formative experiences that my four children were having, you know, leaving my wife of 20 plus years now to be a single parent. But there are a couple things that, you know, that we have learned over the years. And one of those is the importance of establishing and facilitating a support network long before we get to the stage of deployment. And not just the support network inside the organization, uh, because it is really important to, for was for us to have that connection with people who are experiencing the same thing as you are alongside you. So whether that's other astronaut families whose astronaut is in space, or that's other soldiers um, who are deployed with you, that's critically important. But also a network outside of those organizations, separate from that, whatever it is in the community and sports, um, in religious activities, whatever it is, that having that outside network is equally important. Uh, then another running theme is having them be part of the mission and having incorporating them into the experience itself. That was a lot harder to do sometimes in the units that I deployed with, and it was very hard for me to sometimes communicate exactly what we were doing, when we were doing, and it made it hard to make that connection. Was it different when you were aboard the ISS? Because to me, it seemed like there was always a camera on you 24-7, and I know that's not the case. But, you know, you weren't only sharing the experience with your family, but millions of people across the world as well. Going to space was a little bit different because everything was very overt and very public. And so it made it a little bit easier for me to include my family in the experience. One way that we did that is uh, in a lot of my travel, my travels and training for my mission involved trips to Japan, to Europe, to Russia. And I was able to bring my family in several of those cases and allowed them to grow from the experience as well, because I, more than anything, I wanted them to thrive during this experience of going through the mission cycle of my uh, mission to the ISS. And, and, and I took every opportunity that it presented to do that.
while you were in space, what did you do to maintain some sense of normalcy, you know, both as a father and as a husband? And can some of that be used by deployed soldiers? One of the other things that we did was having an ongoing project that, that my wife and I could work on together. Sometimes that was things around the house. You know, we liked doing projects around the house and we would talk about doing various home improvements and things like that, um, either that we were going to do when I returned or, and sometimes we would do them even while I was in space or while I was deployed. And so that gave us an ongoing project that we could work on together. So you've kind of hit on those first two of the three phases of the deployment cycle or the transition cycle. We talked about, you know, what can you do to prepare for the transition? What do you do in the interim when you're actually, when the transition's actually occurring? But then what's that reintegration like? I know when I came home from deployments or really long TDYs, it was a little bit different. I had to make an adjustment realizing that I had been gone for a rather long period of time. As a transitioning crew member, leaving the ISS, having lived there for nine months, coming back to Earth and thinking about those things that may be different, how my my children have grown up and how they are more mature than they were when I left the whole school year before and understanding what that may be and thinking about it in terms of I have to view myself as a visitor back on Earth for the first couple of weeks, couple of months while I'm making that transition and not come in and expect things to look exactly like they did when I left. Okay, sir, we've talked a lot today, a lot about transitions, how they affect the service member, how they affect the family, things they can do to ease those transitions. If you had to summarize that, what would it sound like? You know, Beto, if I had to summarize, then, you know, the, my best advice for a transitioning a soldier, the importance of early planning and the importance of having contingency options, the importance of maintaining the relationships that you've built over the years in the military and take carry those into your career afterlife, uh, the importance of making a slow, gradual transition, and then thinking about it in terms of phases and, and changing priorities. Okay, sir, I know your time is very precious, and I can't thank you enough for agreeing to talk with us today and let our audience listen in on that. Last words to you. I, you know from hearing me speak publicly a number of times the, that I consider myself a soldier, a physician, and an astronaut, but that I consider myself a soldier first, I consider myself a soldier for life. I haven't made my transition out of the Army yet, but and that day will come, but it's a transition we all will make eventually. Secure the high ground.